MNK Talk YA now presents Dread Nation Part 1 of the Dread Nation Duology by Justina Ireland. MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we started a brand new series from um, a brand new author, at least for us. We started Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. And we read up to chapter 20 for this week. Yeah, I don't think this is her first book. I think she has a couple of other books out, some of which were written before this one. Oh yeah, she definitely does. She wrote... I actually wrote them down because a lot of them look really good. I'm really anxious to read more by her. But she has written Scream Sight, uh, Promise of Shadows, and Vengeance Bound. What was the first one? Scream Sight. Interesting. I don't think I read about that one. But I also, I don't even know if this one's out yet, or maybe it's one of the ones you just listed. But something about space travel. Did you see that one? Oh. Oh, well, she wrote some some Star Wars books, like in the Star Wars realm. A Theory of Flight from Better Worlds or something. Is that what it is? Oh, I didn't see that one. She's written a ton of stuff. I don't know if it's out yet, but I just saw something about it. Like, it's about a woman who wants to, she does like some kind of like Kickstarter for a rocket to like open up the skies to more people. And it has to do with like space travel and equality and things like that. But I was like, ooh, that kind of sounds interesting. Definitely. So yeah, which of her other books are you most intrigued by? Um, oh gosh, I like all of them because I like that it seems like most of her books have like a really great balance between reality and fantasy. And it looks like a lot of her books tend to lean towards the darker side. Right up your alley. Which I like. So I know. (laughs) I really want to read Scream Sight next. It's where um, people post scary videos and compete for the most screams. So it's kind of like, I'm guessing it's kind of like a discussion about how things go viral and like how that can be dangerous. But there's definitely some, some dark stuff going on in this book it seems. So I'm excited to check that one out next. Yeah, it is. It's funny. I feel like this year as a whole, our books have been more focused in the real world than usual. Like I feel like we still obviously are focused on fantasy and sci-fi, but I feel like so many of our previous stories were like completely imagined worlds or like completely futuristic worlds or something that were so different. I love how this series and some of the other ones have been more like historical or like real world based or like bringing in legends and mixing history in the real world with fantasy and I think it's so interesting to think about how research has to be done differently for books like that where you're still being like historically accurate but you're also taking obviously fiction liberties with fantasy elements and things like Mm -hmm. that so and like how far do you go with like fact checking to make sure everything lines up correctly when it's still technically a fantasy I'd be curious about that too yeah but I love I love the first half of this book so far. So we read halfway through Dread Nation. The series is a duology, which 
which I love. And <laughs> right off the bat, we get, like you said, a very interesting world that is half fantasy, half reality. So it takes place in post-Civil War United States. Mm-hmm. And the war has just ended, but as soon as the war ended, the dead start to, to rise up and walk. And I love that it happened for the first time on um, the battlefield of Gettysburg. <laughs> Because that was, yeah. like, the decisive point of when the Civil War started to end. Well, that's so interesting how it, like, framed the conflict, too. It was sort of like it was the North versus the South, but because the dead were rising, that, like, things wrapped up quicker so that mm-hmm. everyone could, like, join forces against the zombies. Yeah, they got a common enemy pretty quickly. And I I really enjoyed how um, the author kind of talks about how difficult it is for our main character and for Black people in general, but she embeds it into this very um, fantastical situation where like a lot of truths about what black people faced after the Civil War and pretty much since then on it's it's reflected in this like very fantastical situation where now black people are being hired hired is kind of a loose word um, forced is a better word forced to train and hunt zombies to protect white people mm-hmm. so it's like a very it's a very interesting situation where it's like she's still really paints a picture of how hard life was back then for black people just by because of the color of their skin and how unfairly they were treated Um, but she puts it in this context of you know zombies coming to life so it's just like it's a very interesting spin on it or spin on it's a very interesting spin on racial issues and prejudice in general yeah and I think it's a really cool thing again I mean like I think it's really interesting regardless but sometimes when I think about being a young adult and reading like this isn't isn't a book that I read when I was a young adult or when I was like in high school or something but Mm -hmm. I wish I had and thinking about how it like because it has zombies and because some of the racial issues are uh turned on their head a little bit because obviously Mm -hmm. there weren't actually zombies back then but it's still like very true to the prejudice and the other thing like in the experience of black people yeah it's just it's interesting it like makes it more I don't know there's I, I I feel like it's able to talk about things differently because it does have this like fantasy fictional element to it even though it's still I don't know accurate it's it's a similar story that has been told before and that deserves telling but it's told in such a different way which I love and I think it's interesting because okay so we have our main character her name is Jane Jane McKean and she is biracial so she was born to a very wealthy white woman in Kentucky and the book opens right away with the midwife trying to smother her when she's born because she sees this by all means black child born to this white woman and back then that was she she immediately thought that wouldn't be desirable so her response was to try and kill our MC right off the bat yep and luckily um Jane's mother and Aunt Aggie are able to step in and save her from that fate but I think it's interesting too how the idea of her being biracial does come into play and, and with some of the other characters as well well her mom is an interesting character that we haven't actually seen either because I do feel like there maybe this isn't accurate but I feel like I've more commonly heard stories from this era with biracial people where it was a black woman and a white man Mm -hmm. and it was more of like a rape situation right and this is interesting because her mother claims her is like the woman of the house because the men have all gone off to war and it's not like she was raped by a black man it's like she enjoys the company of multiple black men and Mm -hmm. I don't know like I feel like it could have been a really negative story 
of how her origin story, but it doesn't feel that way. Mm-hmm. And I think it's kind of, I'm curious to see, because right now, and I'm like totally jumping ahead, but we, we see her mother in flashbacks and some of the advice her mother gave her and some of the advice her like aunties gave her. And we see that she's been writing letters to her mom for, what is it now, a year since she's heard back? Right. And then she just found, or like, I guess a few chapters ago, but found out that her mom actually has been writing her back this whole time and just the letters never got to her and her letters never got to her mom. So there is also this underlying, like, she wants to go home. She wants to get back. She mm-hmm. wants to see her family and her home and, like, go back to where she felt comfortable in a lot of ways, I feel like. <laughs> yeah. But there's all these other layers to that, obviously, also right now. But I'm, like, curious to see if her mom is alive and what is going on at home and if they ever get back there and all of that. So I agree. And I think it's, it is interesting because each chapter – opens with a letter part of a letter that Jane wrote to her mother and then when we got to part two we like very briefly got to part two but the openers are written by Jane's mother to Jane so I'm wondering if like we'll get to see more of her mother through the letters or like you said through through uh, flashbacks but I agree I'm I'm really fascinated by the character of her mother and I want to learn more about her well and I love that the letters going back and forth because you see how they're not exactly false but they're also definitely (laughs) not true true. (laughs) and it's just it like totally reminds me of like the kind of thing I would write from camp to my mom or something (laughs) or you know or like I don't know it's just it's like she's telling her mom what she wants her mom to know or what she wants her mom to like think or believe and I think part of that too is because her mom didn't actually want her to go to one of these re-education schools or schools of combat and like was trying to hide her from it right Mm -hmm. and then she was encouraged and went out and like was like take me and so I think there's some degree of like trying to reassure her mother that it wasn't Mm -hmm. the wrong choice and some of it I think is just natural to like especially in your teen years like how you communicate with your parents about (laughs) trials and tribulations and things like that so and only sharing as much as you think they need to know I think I wrote a note like that I was like these letters at the beginning don't sound very genuine (laughs) (laughs) well I actually wrote a terrible letter to my parents the first time I went to camp I we did like a tubing adventure down a river and I like Mm. fell off my tube and like hit some rocks and like got scraped up and I didn't have any friends yet because it was like the first day of camp and I guess I wrote a letter that was like super melodramatic and like (laughs) You know, like, just way over the top about how terrible it was and how injured I had become and, like, all of this stuff. But luckily, I was only at camp for a week, so by the time my parents got the letter, I was already home. But my mom was like, (laughs) I would have come immediately. Like, why would you write this? But that was, like, fourth grade. By the time I was in high school, my le- I feel like I wrote, like, when I was homeless in India, I didn't tell my mom some of the struggles there. I was like, oh, everything's fine. Like <laughs> The other thing, so the other thing that I love about this book is how much world building Justina Ireland did, which sounds weird because, like, it technically does take place in the United States, but she created so much political, mm-hmm. um, it, like, political intrigue and political um, disputes within her world that she created so I'm really I'm really impressed by that like I think some of the stuff she came up with is is pretty interesting like the so the schools that you were talking about where she, where Jane kind of gets forced into going to one of these schools they were created in cities to train black and Native American people to become warriors to fight the dead mm-hmm 
And the goal, kind of, the main goal is once you graduate from one of these schools, you get to be an attendant. And so that means that you get to travel around with a rich white person and protect them from these zombies that are um, attacking everyone. Yeah, and it's like this idea that, okay, I guess technically it's better than slavery, but it's not actually all that different at the same time in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. right? Like the choices are there's not a lot of choices so it's essentially not having a choice and yes there's some money exchange but not enough to like live off of and not like it's not yeah it's still definitely a position that's designed to mark the person who's serving as inferior and the person that is being served as superior and it's so interesting too though this idea of like can you imagine like the dead are coming back to life and like like how scary would that be in general and again this is back before like I mean we didn't have the internet and we didn't obviously they don't even understand how diseases really work as we've seen from like some of the shoddy science that's been explained and like um and whatnot and it's like such an interesting idea because there seems to also be this like fear of well there's like this power struggle or power hierarchy right so the Mm -hmm. white women are depending on like their black attendants to protect them but they are also like don't want to give them weapons or at least now that we've gone out to the west like they're supposed to be using just like their swords and not guns and like Mm -hmm. like and it's kind of like if you I don't know it seems like if you want someone to protect you give them all the tools they would need to do that Mm -hmm. and pay them very very well and treat them like equals yeah incentivize them to want to protect you also you know like treat them nice like make sure they're well fed like I, I feel like if someone had the ability not even like yes I get if you give someone a gun they could turn it on you and that's I think part of why they're Mm -hmm. afraid to give guns out and stuff. But even beyond that, like if even if in the modern day and age, if I hired someone and whatever, I would like want that person to like me or care about me if they were supposed to protect me so that I would feel like they would go and do everything in their power to keep me alive. I don't know. Yeah, and, and it's and it's kind of interesting too because like the whole school and and how they choose who is a zombie killer and who's not, it's not based on anything other than the color of these people's skin. So it's not like the weak are being defended by the strong. It's just yeah. This it's just this essentially system of new but very similar slavery. And they're being taught how to do this one task. They're being taught how to defend against, or kill shamblers or zombies or whatever, but mm-hmm. they are not supposed to know how to read. You know, they're like, it. Like it's not actually like they're going to school and getting all these skills. They're just being, it's like, yeah, force. It's just a different, yeah, I'm rambling. A different form of slavery, yeah. yeah. And I, I think it's also interesting that Jane kind of said like, but if I don't graduate from this school, like my options are equally as grim. Like she, she admits to herself, like I probably wouldn't stand a chance out there in the world if I didn't have this ability to to kill zombies in this training. And this is like the best school for it, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's also sad that these attendants are kind of looked on as ornaments or like a luxury for people to have and are treated as very much less than when really like they're the ones saving your lives. I mean, we literally saw, I forget which teacher, I forget the names of the teachers right now, but she legitimately killed a shambler that was sitting next to her teacher and was about to like that no one saw turn and the woman's reaction was 
absolutely horrifying. I know. She was like... And it would have been horrifying... Have, was that the one where she was like, couldn't you have been more discreet about it? Well, and she was like... You, I forget what she was saying, but... She, I mean, she was the one who basically turned her over to the mayor to send off to this mm-hmm. distant area. And she was oh, like... Oh, Miss Anderson. Yeah, Miss Anderson. Yeah. And she was saying all these, like, derogatory things and just, like... It's like, not only would that be bad anyways, but I can't imagine... Like, if this person literally just saved your life an hour ago, mm-hmm. you'd think, even if you still thought these horrible things about black people in general, that you would maybe, like, it would maybe shift your view of this one person, but no, it doesn't at all. Not at all, no. I think it was, oh, it was at the mayor, whenever the mayor had the dinner. Yeah. And she, like, someone was turning into a zombie, like, in their midst, and she killed him at the dinner table, and the mayor was, like, irritated that she killed him at the dinner table, and he was like, I wish you could have been more discreet about that. <laughs> but really, like, she saved his entire dinner party but also shouldn't people have been more like i feel like there should be more questions about i thought the mayor's house was like super guarded and protected and yes i get that zombies are still coming into the city but shouldn't people be more concerned that there was someone at that dinner party who started to turn? i'm like even if they still treated the way she killed them poorly you'd think someone else like I can't believe the party just went on. <laughs> I know. It's bizarre. It, it honestly, like, some of this, like, really reminds me of COVID, too. Just, yeah. Like, the idea that, like, he came to the dinner party and no one knew he was infected. And it's, like, those are the stories you're hearing about these days where, like, someone didn't know and they showed up at a party and then 70 people got infected. Like, there's so many really kind of creepy similarities between COVID and, and this zombie apocalypse. Well, I actually, I was reading one article that was about, like, if the zombie disease really started spreading and, like, what would we do? And I think it was written before all this COVID stuff. It was like 2016 or 17 or something, but it was saying all those same things that we're basically talking about here. It was like, we could either isolate the sick or isolate the healthy, but in either case, if like one person gets out, it could spread like crazy or, and then like, it was like the other extreme is just like destroy everyone sick or healthy in the area where (laughs) this breaks out or I don't know. I mean, like I was talking about some kind of extreme stuff and it, you know, talked a little bit about what's at the R value or whatever that's spreads how quickly things spread are not what is that number i forget viral load no maybe you, i don't know what you're talking about Sorry. like the the like reproduction ratio for outbreaks that talks about how severe they oh, are oh okay i don't even remember i didn't actually use this article for my real research but i just remember reading something and i was like this is legit like how we should be do-. or like it's the same thing i mean it's a little bit more fantastical to talk about a zombie apocalypse mm-hmm. but if it's passed by people interacting it's the same it's an epidemic (laughs) yeah and I like how they kept talking about like certain states were declared like zombie free and it's so weird how it's like yeah certain places are declared COVID free and like but even though they're saying that it's they're zombie free like they're really not like they're just kind of painting a picture to like in this world at least make people feel more comfortable and less afraid Mm -hmm. and and it was interesting too how um, they start to talk about how it spread and Jane was the one who was like yeah I read that it's like small little organisms living inside of us and like everyone thought she was nuts for saying that well she didn't even say I read it right because she couldn't admit that she had read a medical journal oh, right. yeah, true. <laughs> she was like I think it might be which honestly does sound kind of crazy especially if you don't know that someone's I mean it like that was a crazy idea when it first yeah, came out true. but yeah it's funny because yeah that's exactly what's going on probably <laughs> so um at the school jane has a friend named Catherine who starts out as an enemy okay <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's an enemy to friend situation and even now they're not like super close friends they just 
kind of been thrown together in these unusual circumstances. But Catherine is also biracial, but she has much lighter skin and she has uh, blonde hair and I think blue eyes, they say. And it's kind of interesting how, because she is white passing, like how certain things affect her differently than the main character, Jane, or how it, it also affects how people react to her. Well, and not only is like now she's legitimately trying to at least pass as white. It's not right. just that like she, people are unsure when they look at her. Like now she's claim or no, she's not claiming. I guess Jane is claiming that she is white mm-hmm. to kind of get her a better position and kind of selfishly too right because she's hoping that if because they're like kind of allies in the situation neither one of them wanted to end up out west and i think jane at least even if she could get out wouldn't want to leave without Catherine and jack so she's trying to like set them up for success as much as possible okay yes so should we back up and explain how we got to the west (laughs) (laughs) no let's just start from the (laughs) 200 pages in it's fine Okay, yeah, so go back. So we're still at school. So we have Catherine, who's also at school with Jane. And then the other main character that we should probably talk about before we get there is Jack, who was Jane's maybe boyfriend? Mm Mm-hmm. They had a history. Maybe just special friend? Yeah, they have some kind of romantic-ish history. But now they are solely business slash friend. Like, it's, it's... Partners, yeah. That part is over. But he has a sister who he cares deeply about who also... Wait, can she pass as white or she's just um, staying with that other family to avoid being sent to one of the schools? That's a good question. I don't believe she is white passing, but okay. she has been sent to another family because at 12 years old, that's when the um, basically the law enforcement goes through the city and collects any child... Um, who was black and enrolls them in a combat school. So Jack is really trying to prevent that from happening to Lily. Yes, and that was a good plan while it lasted maybe, but now all of a sudden Lily and the family she was staying with have basically vanished and... Oh, she is white. Sorry. Lily is white passing. Okay. Yeah, because I thought they were like pretending she was their daughter or cousin or something. Yeah, I couldn't remember exactly, but okay. But regardless, that whole family has disappeared and Jack especially is like, even if they left for a legitimate... If they left for any planned or intentional reason Lily would have found a way to tell me right so he suspects some kind of foul play and I'm still kind of confused so we also I forget what the two political parties are called we have the survivalists and the the egalitarians okay so Lily the family Lily is saying with were egalitarians right and the mayor is a survivalist Yes. So when they find out that the mayor is somehow involved, they assume it was some kind of political, like sending your enemy away kind of thing, like against their will. But then he made a comment, and I realize I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but after the dinner party when the mayor's talking to Jane, Catherine, and Jack, he made a comment like they chose that to survive. They switched sides because they were afraid or something, right? Yes. I think it was kind of like... Like basically they had a chance to leave town and regardless of their political affiliation, they felt it was safer for their family, so they left, is the implication I felt like I got from the mayor. But I don't know if I trust them. Well, I thought that they said, so they were sent because they opposed the mayor, and then in the book, Jane writes, it's amazing what a few months of fighting the undead and struggling to survive can do to change a man's perspective. Some of my best allies were once egalitarian. Yeah, that's what the mayor said, right? The mayor says this, yeah, Yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, which implies that they did volunteer 
voluntarily switched to the survivalist side. Like it wasn't worth their values versus survival, right? Kind right, of? exactly. Like yeah. they were definitely coerced into switching sides. Okay. And manipulated. Yeah. So he's tr- so the mayor's trying to rebuild this yeah. western area called Summerland as like an area free from the plague and from the zombies, right? I think so, but then I'm a little bit confused. Why is he not out there? Because <laughs> he's white. But zombies don't care. Right now, I know, but like. I don't think he would. I don't know. That's a good question. I guess he's just waiting, yeah, till it's more established or something. Like maybe yeah. everyone there is like, I mean, it's like the Wild West, I guess, and they're like settling town and then. Yeah, and I think that right now the West is still pretty dangerous because that's why they keep sending people out there to like get rid of all the zombies. So I, I don't think he'll put himself in that kind of danger until all the zombies are gone. Yeah. Because Baltimore, where he lives now, is um, not super affected by it. I mean, it still is, but not as much as, like, the southern states, I guess. Which I thought was cool. Again, I guess, but someone was turning at his dinner party, so... (laughs) Well, that's true. But I think it's interesting that the zombies stop moving in cold weather. So, like, in the north, they weren't affected as much, but essentially in this world, the southern states have all been obliterated because... She was like, every season is zombie season in the South. So, like, they never go dormant. Yeah, that's fair. That's an interesting idea. So, yes. So, Jane and Catherine are trying to help Jack figure out where his sister went. And they end up spying on the mayor at his dinner party. And... Oh, and the the only reason they were invited to the dinner party is because they went to this lecture where this quote unquote doctor or scientist was like, oh, black people have a natural resistance to the zombie disease and I have this vaccine. So I'm going to inject this black person who I guess technically did it willingly, but again, like didn't really have a choice and expose him to these shamblers and it's going to be fine. So he like injects this guy and then has the guy put his hand into the shambler thing, but he still turns and then again this just seems like an idiot move anyways even if you're confident in your theory I would not be standing right next to someone who's about to turn but okay then the shambler ends up eating the doctor and very few people are prepared to Mm. handle the situation the shamblers get out and Jane is basically the only one who's like got her gun and saves the day and kills all the shamblers and Catherine Mm -hmm. kind of helps a little bit and so that's like the at least excuse for why they got invited to the mayor's house to like honor them for what they did for the mayor's wife. Yeah, this whole idea of, like, assuming that black people have something ingrained in them that is making them immune to the zombie disease or whatever is just... I mean, it's it's such a new, interesting way of, like, showing that kind of prejudice that existed back then. Because, like, that absolutely happened. And, you know, unfortunately, it, it is happening in this book, too. But it's just, like, it's such a unique way to present it. Yeah. But basically saying we're different species or we're different. Ugh, <laughs> yeah. So, of course, they get caught at the mayor's house because they're trying to essentially infiltrate and find out where Jack's sister went. And their punishment is they're sent to Summerland in Kansas. Although, didn't it feel like it didn't matter if they got caught or not because Catherine wasn't caught and she still got sent. So it sort of felt like Mm. it almost didn't matter. Like, I don't think if they hadn't been going through the files that they would have gotten out of that dinner party any other way, to be completely honest. But yes, they were caught. So at least there was an excuse that they could use, I guess. Because, um, oh, because the man, the Native American man, Redfern, he set them up too. He like somehow was spying on them and just kind of 
got a feeling that they were there to try and dig up what the mayor was getting into. So he like he definitely set them up. I am so excited to get more of his story and perspective mm-hmm. because I, he's another one of those characters that I can't tell yet if he's good or bad. And I feel like he's probably just motivated by something different than our characters and could go either way at some point, you know? And again, I think blacks were still, I don't even know, were blacks the bottom of the totem pole and Native Americans were also less than whites, but above blacks in terms of like the social hierarchy? Oh gosh, I don't know. I don't know either, but he's at least uh, not a prisoner and seems to be working with multiple white people right now. So I don't know if that's true for all. But Native American people were included in the new law that was passed to um, make them have to go to school to fight zombies, yeah. So he might just be struck some deal with the mayor or something. I don't know how he got into like a power powerful ish position that still is below the white people but above our three main mm-hmm. characters right now. But yeah, went to one of these schools, isn't white. Like I'm curious to see at what point like if he has if he's reliable or if he'll become reliable and helping them or if he's always gonna be kind of against them or because he was very um disdainful of Jane at the beginning. Like every time she looks at him he was giving her these dark, dark looks. Or did she just interpret them as dark looks and he was actually like worried about her getting herself into trouble or something? You know, I mean, like, I'm always curious with how, because we're only seeing her perspective of it. That's true. But she also learns that her teacher, Miss Preston, who owns the school, she's been sending her students out west too, willingly. Yeah. So it's like... And I'm wondering, like, we haven't seen the West yet, and I'm I'm really curious to learn more about it, but I'm curious, is it meant to be, like, a very tough place to survive because it's so overrun with zombies, and that's why she's sending, like, her best students there, but it's really like she's sending them, almost like sending them to slaughter because they don't have a great chance of surviving? Is that how it is? I mean, I think at least in part, and I think part of that is because, I think, so they have this giant wall around the community or something, so yeah. I think they have multiple things in place to keep the zombies out, but... But one of the big things is they have these patrols of largely, if not solely, black people who are out there, yeah, hunting the shamblers. But they're not even giving guns. I don't know how much of it is like, I don't know if the shamblers are any worse out here or if it's just there's a lot of them and they don't have like the proper tools even to, like, I'm curious if they had guns, would it be as dangerous as it is? Mm-hmm. That's a good question. Because it sounds like all of the like managers who are white have guns. Yes. But yeah, I mean, we haven't seen enough of it yet. But yeah, there's definitely talk that like, if you survive the year, like, I mean, it just feels like they're not given very good survival chances. But I think part of it's because they're just sent out where like, there are no protections and all they have are like, yeah, things for close combat. And we've already seen the shamblers kind of gather in groups, or at least that one encounter we had with them in the forest, there were a lot of them. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I think I remember why Redfern doesn't like her. I think it's because, didn't he say something where, like, he saw her when she would leave school at night? She would, like, leave school at night and essentially, like, hunt down zombies on her own. Oh, yeah. Right? And she was, like, trying to protect people, but he saw her and he was, like, he disliked that she felt confident enough, I guess, to, like, go out and try and take that into her own hands. Again, this is where part of me is, like, I don't feel like we know him well enough to know mm-hmm. if he... Like, is it a sense of, does he, like, identify more with them than we realize? And is, like, you're drawing unnecessary attention to yourself and getting yourself in this bad situation. Like, why Mm -hmm. would you do that? Just protect yourself and your own and, like, 
stay under the radar is that like his view or is he actually like jealous might be the wrong word or like i mean like uh have negative feelings towards her right now so i'm not sure what okay so also about speaking of the injections like what was interesting was when we got to the um to the sheriff sheriff snyder who i am horrified that he has my last name (laughs) really my husband's last name i didn't even think about that when i read it how crazy is that the first thing i thought about i was like oh no but this sheriff he has uh i won't i won't call him a scientist but he has someone who kind of meddles in science who has also come up with a vaccine but this one's a little bit different it keeps you from turning if you get bit while on on patrol and he did say that he tested it out on himself so this vaccine seems like at least like it's trying to do some good instead of like you know trying to prove that black people are inferior but he did say every he said it was only black people who were like forced to get it right now though right right because i think those they were the only people fighting yeah but it's like i don't i think he has better scientific method at least but i don't know that he has like better fundamental beliefs (laughs) agreed i mean uh, yeah he has that horrible scene where he like or the sheriff asks him to prove that Catherine is white and oh, yeah. he like literally measures her skull oh, and he says he doesn't believe in it but it's just like okay but you're still use i don't know you're still using it and well, this is this is where I have so many questions about how this new town is set up. Because especially if they're out in the middle of nowhere, there are deg- like obviously being Jane in this situation, you have like the least amount of options. But it sort of feels like no, you have to respect whatever the power structure is, and because like the risk of being like sent out from the community or whatever would be so. If you don't go along with it, there's nowhere you don't really have an option to like go to the next town or something right. like that. But it's uh, it like reminds me of any. Town you read in history about like good people who let bad things happen or go along with it it's like Mm -hmm. you sort of can understand because it's hard to like challenge something that's so systematically set up but it still like make makes you angry especially as an outsider like someone reading it and being like dude why are you if you know this is like faulty science or if you know like why are you going along with it it. yeah yeah that's interesting I'm wondering like who is going to be an ally out here and who is just upholding the system because we do have we're we are already learning about new characters we have the duchess we have gideon we have bill so i'm i'm very intrigued about this new town and i i yeah i want to see like who's there to help the mayor and who's there to upend the system yeah and if lily and the family are there and if and even if we because again we're out in the west so it's not as simple as just like escaping it feels like because Mm -hmm. where would you go yeah there's nowhere to go you'd be on your own and you probably wouldn't survive and so i think that's why it's like being sent out here in a way is meant to punish Mm-hmm. But also, um, like, I think they do have a hope that it will become like a utopia. And it's just they're willing to send people out there who they think are expendable. Yeah. To like settle it. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the ones that are sending outside of the wall with no gun. <laughs> Gosh. It's also interesting. This is like such a small side note, but I am really intrigued by some of the small details of the world building too. Like the idea that we don't have horses on the east because they've yeah. all been eaten by the shamblers. Shamblers? What are they called? Shamblers. Yeah. Yeah. But like out west, they're like, oh, we have horses again. Especially because when I think about like Civil War, post Civil War era America, like I can't imagine it without horses, sort of. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's 
it's interesting. I do feel like it's very, it's just like such a cool blend of taking this zombie idea and adding in some of these other elements, but also like being really true to a lot of the problems of our country at this time period. Agreed. And it's also interesting too, because in some ways, in some ways it seems like it's more advanced than how we were back then. And the only reason I'm saying that is because there are girl schools and there are boy schools. So like back then in, in our, in our real country, I don't know if people would have been willing to let girls go be zombie hunters and like learn how to use guns and use these very dangerous knives. So that was kind of interesting that she chose to make it a little bit more advanced in terms of ideas about gender and, and you know, what boys and girls can and cannot do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought it was cool that she gave that Jane that opportunity as a girl to be involved in this, you know, in this type of school. But I think it's also interesting that she still painted it as a very, very much a racial issue as well. Yeah, well, I feel like in a lot of ways, society doesn't view Jane as a girl who is black. They view her as a black who's a girl, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah. Because I don't know if white women were were getting educated. Like, I mean, it wasn't really like, I don't know. It's just, yeah, you're right, though. It's interesting how some stuff is different and positive and some stuff is yeah, not. <laughs> yes, I'm really enjoying it so far. I think it's really, really interesting and thought-provoking, and I can't wait to keep reading it, honestly. Well, and I actually, I kind of find, I'm not, like, super into zombie stories usually. I haven't honestly done a lot of it, but it, I sort of feel like zombies, in my mind, are, because they're not really smart, are, like, a boring enemy, but I mm. love it being like the historic aspect of it makes it so much more interesting to me and then the zombies are like a fun additional thing but like I feel Mm -hmm. like I would almost read this story without the zombies like the zombies give it just enough to like I like can't anticipate certain things that are gonna happen but I feel like if it had been like set in the modern day with zombies I would be bored almost or I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say but yeah no I think you're right because like zombie zombie stories are so overdone you know Mm -hmm. and this is like a, a, a way to make it interesting again I would say too yeah and I feel like you're right we did a lot of world I feel like the action has just started because we had to mm-hmm. like establish a lot of things in the first half so I'm like really excited for this next half and book two me too me too did you do any research at all this week I did a lot of like random research but I settled on what are some real zombies in the world Ooh. okay <laughs> so I feel like we may have talked about one of these in some other series but mm. I'm just going to assume we know nothing about other zombie creatures so there is this species of fungi called ophiocordyceps and it can be dangerous and it's typically toxic to animals but there's this one specific subspecies or whatever of this I can't pronounce Latin very well but ophiocordyceps (laughs) unilateralia sensulato which that's a mouthful targets and infects various insects through its spores and after infection takes place it like controls the insect's mind and alters its behavior to make the insect like help spread the fungal spores oh we did read about this Right? Is this the spider? So this one is actually an ant For one. For the ants. 
Okay, the ant one, yeah. Yeah, so this one specifically infects and controls and kills, ultimately, carpenter ants in North America. And this is the one where they, like, end up climbing to the top of the plant or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they just stand there until they die and the high elevation, mm-hmm. like, allows it to spread further. Because isn't it they climb to the top of grass so that animals will eat them? Uh, possibly it's so that animals eat them. I just, I was, like, reading, it, like, takes full control of the ants' muscle fibers and forces them to move and... And it's just like, it's, it sounds so creepy, except you think like ants, it's not a scary. And then there were zombie spiders. But I think, hold on, but I think the ants was like, they would, they would climb up to the top of the grass so that animals would eat them and then the animals would poop them out and the, their, yes, I think that's like, right. Dung would help the fungus grow. So it was like yep. a whole circle. It's so yeah, crazy. It's kind of crazy. And so, so yeah, there's this type of wasp, the Zatipoda wasp that manipulates spiders of the Anelocemus eximius species, which is like a social spider <laughs> that likes to hang out in groups and usually never leaves its colony. But if members of this spider species are infected with the larva of this wasp, they leave the colony and weave these tightly spun cocoon-like webs in different remote locations. And so when they found these weird cocoon webs, they opened them up and found the larvae larvae growing inside. So they like researched it a little bit more. And so I guess the wasp lays eggs on the abdomen of one of these spiders. And then when the egg hatches and the larvae emerge, they start feeding on the spider and take control of its body. And when it's gained full control of its host, it compels it to stray away from all of its family, which it never does normally, and spin this cocoon nest and once the cocoon is built is it finishes eating the wa- the spider and hangs out in the nest until they're full grown wasps yes i have read about this too and it's so terrifying to think that it can take over the mind of a spider and make it spin something that it's never spun before like that is crazy to me and again like just the idea that this is something that can happen even though i know spiders and ants are like much smaller and different than we are it's like how much evolution is it going to take until the same thing can happen to us mm-hmm. and then it literally sews the nest that the wasp then lives in it like yeah. sews its own nest it's so creepy oh and it, and again to your point and and I, like I said, I know we've talked about some of this before, but I was just like reading about it again. And especially in the context of this book and the idea, like thinking about it in terms of taking it steps further and being like, what if humans like were taken over by a small microbe and like it was controlling their brain and their muscle movements. And it's, it's so interesting how evolution works and how to your point like they can come up with all these like crazy steps to make their species survive mm-hmm. and thrive like to use other organisms to help them it's just crazy yeah and then there's zombie plants which i don't know if we've i don't remember reading about this one before mm. But I remember that one. There is a certain bacteria. It's called phytoplasma, which I think just is like a very generic name. But it can turn <laughs> some plants into zombies. Ooh. And the one that it was talking about was goldenrod specifically, which are like a yellow flowering plant. But it causes the goldenrods to put out leaf-like extensions instead of their usual blooms. Whoa. And those leaf-like growths attract more insects, which allow the bacteria to travel and infect other plants. 
The interesting thing, though, about this... So it makes it grow in a different way? Yeah, like instead of the yellow flowers, it grows these, like, different leaves. So again, it's like this... That's crazy. Same with, like, the spider nest or whatever, or spider web. But the interesting thing was this one does not cause the plant to die. Oh. So that was a little bit better than some of the other ones where they then... I mean, like, I think... So then they really are, like, the living dead. Yes, but again, I mean, I don't know how much plants have desires and stuff, but the plant isn't doing what it wants to do. It's just, yeah, Mm -hmm. growing these other leaves. It's a host. Oh, that's scary. And then I read a little bit about giant viruses, which... I didn't know much about, but I guess even though they're still tiny, giant viruses, you can see they're more easily visible in a microscope. And they found this virus that was like 30,000 years old in the Siberian permafrost that had, it is a DNA virus that contains a large number of genes, as many as 500 to be precise. And other DNA viruses, like an example would be HIV, which only has 12 genes. So if you think about 12 genes versus 500 oh. genes, that's like a that's lot crazy bigger. Don't viruses work by, like, integrating themselves into your cells and then, like, changing the nature of the cell? So, like, does that mean, like, the more genes it has in common with you, like, the more easily it can integrate into your body? Possibly. So this one in particular was not actually ultimately harmful to humans, but the idea that there are these, or potentially there are environments like deep ocean sediment and the permafrost that can preserve microbes and viruses and whatnot for, like, thousands and thousands of years and potentially with like climate change and stuff things are melting and something could be released yeah oh no we don't need more corona i know and or zombie viruses (laughs) i just can't imagine a disease that has that many more genes than a disease like a virus that's already you know so so powerful yeah and i don't know enough about diseases to really know like what that means in practice or like it sounds scary to me but possibly that is actually like less threatening because i don't i don't actually know anything about what that means but then i also so um haitians have a strong culture that's probably the wrong word there's a lot of like zombie belief in haiti there's like haitian zombies have been a thing for a while um and so there was this doctor in the 1990s who was looking into it and he found three cases where communities in haiti had claimed to have zombies One was a 30-year-old woman who had allegedly died after having fallen ill, and then her family saw her walking around as a zombie three years later. How? Another was a young, another was a young man who had supposedly died at 18, and then 18 years later was found at a a cockfight. And then the third was a woman who had died at 18, but was spotted as a zombie 13 years after the event. So these doctors and professors, like, looked into these three specific cases more, and I guess that first zombie was a catatonic had catatonic schizophrenia, which is a rare condition that makes people act as though they are walking in a stupor. The second person... Okay, I was going to ask, like, what what their behaviors were that made people think they were zombies. Yeah, so that the first one had, yeah, was, like, walking around in a stupor. The second one had experienced brain damage and also had epilepsy. Mm. And the third appeared to just have a learning disability and was, like, wandering around or something. So 
I mean, it's not great and there's, but I guess all, like, these are all possible things that could actually happen to someone that would make them potentially look like they were. Okay. Especially if you're, like, in a place where you believe this or, like, this Mm -hmm. is a common story, you could, like, interpret, and you don't have, like, the necessary medical background or medical supplies to, like, investigate further. Um, But there's also a psychiatric disorder called Cotard syndrome. Wait, that's my research. Okay. So I don't know much about it. So that's perfect segue (laughs) into that. So why don't you tell us about Um, that? I think we may have read all of the same articles. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. No, that's fine. I just thought this was so fascinating. So, yeah, there's this, it's a psychological disorder called Cotard syndrome, which can cause people to act like zombies. And one of the main symptoms is that mentally they, they have these delusions where they believe that they are dead or in the process of dying or decomposing. So I guess it was first described by Dr. Jules Cotard in 1882 and some people believe that they have lost organs, blood, body parts. Um, Some people insist that they've lost their soul but there was a couple case studies done on it. So the first one was a 53 year old woman and her family called 911 because she was complaining that she was dead and she said that she smelled like a rotten fish and she asked, she kept asking her family to take her to a so she could be with the dead people. Can you imagine no. thinking that or no. talking to someone? What would be scarier if you felt that way or if Chad started talking like that? Oh my gosh. I, I mean, it would definitely be scarier if Chad started doing it because I wouldn't, you know, I would. You would just be believe yourself. Head. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. But so when she was taken to the hospital, she had very low energy, a feeling of hopelessness, and she refused to take a bath or do anything, you know, with her hygiene. Um, so she pretty much was in like this catatonic state. And a lot of people don't feed themselves. They, a lot of them can be susceptible to self-starvation because they like don't believe that they exist. So what, why would someone enter this state? Do, do they know anything about like, are there causes or is it? In some cases, it looks like some people had some previous mental issues or mental conditions. But one case study was of a 65 year old man who had no history of, of mental illness. He essentially had the same kind of sadness and hopelessness. He had decreased sleep and appetite, and he eventually developed delusions of, like, nihilistic delusions. So he would say that his organs weren't working and his brain was not working, and he kept saying, like, my house has cracks and it's going to fall down on itself. He ended up trying to kill himself but was saved. But when they read his suicide note, it revealed that he said that he wanted to kill himself because he believed that he possessed an illness like a deadly infection, and he didn't want to give it to the people around him. That's so scary, too. Yeah. I mean, so they he didn't commit suicide at that time. Do they, are they able to treat it? Because I know, like, some psychiatric disorders you can take yeah. something or do something. They said that something that can help is electroconvulsive treatment. Oh, great. Which, <laughs> yeah, I know, it's, 
It is actually kind of interesting because when I was looking up that procedure, it's done very differently today. It's not like how you see in the movies where like an unwilling patient is like strapped to a bed. They do sedate you and give you muscle relaxings, muscle relaxers, and it is like um, they essentially just induce a seizure. And they said that a lot of well, there weren't there, this disease is very rare, this Cotard syndrome, but they did say that um, the people in the case studies were able to get treated. Okay. And they said that that ECT was often very helpful. I just, I, I'm trying to imagine, like, I wonder what it is like to think that. Like, to think that you have a disease that can, that would kill other people would be... I can't imagine. Yeah, because then you wouldn't want anyone to help. Like, I mean, it's, again, just like an interesting, again, same with, like, some of what these, like, ants and spiders, that they're, like, getting them to do things they wouldn't normally do. Like, that's such an interesting... Or it reminds me of, like, Morosco being in a prison that doesn't feel like a prison, or it's, like, talk mm. like, convincing someone that like it's not worth eating it's not worth socializing it's not it's like such an interesting yeah I mean to deny your existence and like believe that you're dead I can't even imagine how scary that would be yeah I'm glad that everyone uh, everyone in the case study it seems like we're, we're able to get help and it is a pretty rare disease but I mean to just have these thoughts where you think your body parts aren't working and does it just like do you like wake up one day and you're like there or does it come gradually <sighs> I don't know. Really scary, though. I think it looks like um, they said that... I bet it just kind of builds gradually because a lot of the people had like anxiety and depressed mood and decreased socialization like and then it it looks like it got kind of progressively worse Hmm. Uh, yeah there's one woman who by the end she considered herself to be dead and she stopped talking stopped eating stopped moving and lost all continence like she wasn't able to Hmm. control her bladder anymore and that was just because she truly believed that she was dead interesting yeah but yeah i'm I'm glad (laughs) Uh, zombies led us down such a dark and dismal path of research but I guess it was to be expected I like well yeah I guess it is I was fascinated even by the stuff that we have talked about before but I like just I feel like this additional lens too of thinking about it I don't know this book is really interesting I'm excited to be in this world longer and think about some of this stuff more I agree I did a little bit of I did a little bit of research about um Justina Ireland too oh yeah yeah she has she's She's done some really amazing things. So I thought it was interesting. She said as a teen, she wanted to be a historian. But then when she was 19, she enlisted in the military and she served as Hmm. an Arabic linguistics expert. That's awesome. Yeah. And I think that's so interesting that she wanted to be a historian and then joined the military because it's like exactly what this book is. It's like history, but with these like badass zombie fighters mixed in. Yeah. She currently works for the Navy as a director of linguistics no as a director of logistics and weapons system support um she also teaches creative writing at york college of pennsylvania and she also is the founder of writing in the margins which is an organization that mentors writers from uh, marginalized groups i love this i love this contradiction it's the wrong word but like i love people who have these different passions and they're pursuing like all of them at once Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's it's very fascinating. Like, you don't usually think of, like, a naval logistics person as, like, writing, writing historic fiction about zombies. Yeah, and not even historic fiction, but YA historic fantasy. Like, yeah, exactly. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited to keep reading. Alrighty. Yeah, let's uh, finish this book for next week. Sounds good. Do you have a joke for me? What has three letters and starts with gas? <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, wait, Car? Yeah. <laughs> Whoa! 
Oh my god, I never get them right. This one, since I live in Arizona, is appropriate. Why is it impossible to starve in the desert? <laughs> I don't know. Because of all the sand, which is there. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That's so bad. <laughs> oh, there like we that. go. There we go. Nice. Um, if you guys want to get in touch with us and tell us about any more animals or fungi that can become zombies, please let us know. Um, and you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook at mnktalkya. And I obviously need help with my jokes, so feel free to share <laughs> some of those as well. <laughs> and we'll finish Dread Nation for next week. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.